You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered. Listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I'm Sydney Foreman. This is the WFHB Local News from April 29, 2020. Later in the program, WFHB News breaks down Governor Eric Holcomb's executive stay-at-home order, which expires Friday, May 1st. Also coming up in the next half hour, Better Beware, our weekly consumer watchdog segment hosted by Richard Fish. That's all coming up later in the show. But first, your local headlines. As Governor Eric Holcomb contemplates his Friday deadline for the stay-at-home order, Indiana's coronavirus numbers continue to climb. Indiana State Department of Health reported 605 new cases in the past 10 days and 63 deaths, which occurred in the past two days. That brings the total number of positive cases to 17,182 people and 964 deaths. Jeremy Kahn, contributor for Fortune magazine, reported there may be 22 hidden coronavirus hotspots in states poised to lift restrictions. Among those states is Indiana. Among the counties in Indiana, Monroe County sits on the list. The Fortune report said emerging coronavirus hotspots likely already exist undiscovered in eight U.S. states planning to ease social distancing restrictions. This report was based on a study by technology firm Dataminer. The firm uses artificial intelligence to scrutinize social media posts on platforms such as Twitter and Reddit. Fortune says the company also looks at 10,000 public data sources in more than 100 languages. Its technology is used by both governments and companies to predict emerging events. Fortune says it is also used by the World Health Organization and the United Nations. Among the areas where data miner has spotted emerging hotspots are counties in Indiana and Michigan. Indiana's lockdown is set to expire this Friday, May 1st. Governor Holcomb debates whether or not to extend the order or start reopening the economy. Data miner is forecasting likely surges in the following counties in Indiana. Monroe County, St. Joseph County, Tippecanoe County, and Vigo County. On Saturday, May 2nd, the City Farmer's Market will return to its Showers Common location, or 401 North Morton Street. According to a city press release, the market will be merging its online ordering system with a, quote, physically distanced walk-through customer order pickup, end quote. Customers who pre-ordered their goods will be assigned a pickup time and are allowed to pick up orders directly from the vendors on site. Only 75 customers will be permitted on the site at a time. However, the market will not, quote, offer the opportunity for on-site purchases, live entertainment, or representation by community organizations at the Information Alley, end quote. Customers will pick up their orders by vendors alphabetically through a one-way pedestrian traffic aisle. The city is requiring each vendor to wear a face mask, gloves, and provide hand sanitizer. Customers could begin placing orders on Tuesday, April 28th at 6 a.m. The city has also implemented an online ordering capacity of 750 orders. 
IU Cinema and IU Media School are partnering to organize an online student film festival on Thursday. The festival Montage, a celebration of moving pictures, will be online after the coronavirus pandemic disrupted the in-person academic semester. The event is free to attend. Viewers can find the link on IU Cinema's website. Indiana Daily Student says viewers can stream the program until May 3rd. President of Indiana University Health Brian Shockney said IU is performing an antibody study during an April 24th COVID-19 press conference. We're reaching out to patients who have uh, a cohort of patients who have uh, recovered from COVID and testing them. Um, and that's one cohort. And we're running this through our uh, IRB, our review board at IU Health. And then 500 um, random samples that we will be then working with the Fairbanks School uh, of public health to then uh, validate some testing so that we can begin to do more of this antibody testing and serology testing in our communities where IU Health has hospitals. Shockney said on Saturday the hospital also performs prevalence testing. County Health Administrator Penny Caudell said the tests were randomized and invitational. The reason that you're getting that invite is because they have, because this is a research study in part to look at prevalence in our community, we'll get a snapshot of the prevalence of COVID-19 in our state and our community. Uh, they've randomized who they're selecting so that we get a representation for our community. So uh, echo Brian's sentiments, if you get that invitation, please uh, take them up on that and be a part of that. It doesn't matter if you've been diagnosed and recovered or you haven't been diagnosed at all. So it will help guide a lot of things in our community, but certainly that information to reopen and how we phase that back in will be part of that. It is a year-long study, and so there'll be different phases of this as we go through. Shockney said IU Hospital plans to partially reopen their surgical unit on May 4th. He said they would be allowing non-essential surgical procedures. Uh, we've got uh, a backlog of patients, as you can imagine, who uh, have not been able to get their surgeries. And, you know, we've got people living in pain with hip pain and knee pain and, and other things that we really need to get to. Um, but we have to be very careful because we still have, um, you know, 27 patients in our hospitals uh, with COVID. And that's not a whole lot lower than some of the, you know, numbers we've had ongoing. And so we're still caring for those. Our resources are shifted towards Toward, the, toward those key individuals and patients we're caring for, so we have to be very careful. Shockney said some surgical unit social distancing procedures are still being worked through. He said the hospital is also working to reopen non-urgent clinical visits. He said after non-urgent visits are permitted, virtual clinic visits will continue to be an option for patients. <laughs> The Bloomington City Council approved an ordinance to conduct municipal government during a state of emergency in compliance with the State Board of Accounts. City Clerk Nicole Bolden presented the amendment at their April 22nd meeting. It amends employee policies to allow the mayor to order some or all employees of the City of Bloomington to continue to receive pay during their regularly scheduled non-overtime work hours for the duration of an emergency declared by the governor under Indiana Code 10 14 312. Then, for the duration of this emergency, it invokes Indiana Code 10 14 317J, which in part 
allows political subdivisions to waive procedures and formalities in regard to certain of its functions and gives the mayor the authority to implement those measures. As long as those actions are consistent with that statute, the governor's executive orders or any other applicable law, declaration, order, or decree. Also for the duration of this disaster emergency and to the extent consistent with guidance from the State Board of Accounts, it authorizes the controller to approve the payment of all necessary city expenditures and defers the action of the boards and commissions which normally review and approve those, these expenditures until after the emergency and alters their role at that time to the review and approval of the controller's actions. City Attorney Philippa Guthrie said the ordinance was prompted by the State Board of Accounts. She said the ordinance would allow flexibility to permit fast action to COVID-19-related help. Controller Jeff Underwood described a recent scenario that followed this ordinance's flexibility. We had one today that was a, a community foundation grant that we that the community foundation fast-tracked and the Parks Department and I fast-tracked as well to provide a couple of locations for uh, to create pods for uh, child care. So normally that would take, we wouldn't take that back through the, we would have taken it to the parks board for approval, but we're going to go ahead and get that signed and ready to go so that we can start housing those people right away. Council member Matt Flaherty presented language specifying the mayor's ability to waive procedures and the controller's ability to approve expenditures would only be effective during this COVID-19 emergency. He also presented a whereas clause clarifying the council's alignment with the State Board of Accounts. Our policies and actions, the goal should be to maintain operations of government as normal or as near to normal as possible uh, while maintaining the well-being of governmental employees and the public. Uh, so that's really um, the goal here. Uh, so the other change is that in the Section 2 of the ordinance, it adds a final sentence um, specifying that... Uh, when the mayor exercises authority under Indiana Code 10-14-3-17J, uh, that it be done uh, after determination um, that it is not practicable to use um, our normal or near normal policies. Um, in, that, in that event, if that determination, determination is made that the mayor or his designee um, must then inform the council within a reasonable time period of, of that uh, decision. Councilmember Kate Rosenbarger presented an amendment recognizing an ordinance in the Bloomington Municipal Code regarding the controller's expenditures. When there is an emergency and the controller needs to do this, it would be at a time where the failure to transfer or expend funds would cause an underlying transaction not to proceed, which in turn would cause an immediate danger to the health, safety, and welfare or loss to the city. So. Kudos to those of you on the council in 2018. You already sort of planned for this in an ordinance. And so we're just reminding an amendment by Amendment 3 that this exists. Council members unanimously approved the three amendments. Council member Jim Sims said accountability is important for all departments involved. Council members unanimously approved the ordinance as amended.
Up next, WFHB News Director Kate Young reports on the future of Governor Holcomb's executive order to stay at home. That executive order expires on Friday, May 1st. For more, we turn to Kate Young. Governor Eric Holcomb's stay-at-home order expires Friday, May 1st. In an announcement Tuesday, Holcomb said he will provide more information about the future of the stay-at-home order in the coming days. This leads to the possibility of Indiana joining ranks with 14 other states to reopen their economies. I, I would just say that as much as we have done over the last couple months, we've got a lot more to do and a lot more work ahead of us. And I know a lot of folks are understandably, we are too, <laughs> focused on this Friday and what May 1st uh, will mean to our daily lives and our once uh, routines, our habits. Um, we are too. That's why we're working around the clock to get to um, Friday with those updates. But I just want to underscore um, everything that you've been doing to flatten the curve, to slow the spread. That's why we find ourselves in a position to make some new decisions about how we go forward. It's all been in an effort um, to slow the spread and, and flatten the curve and not overwhelm our health care system. And that's just been essential. Um, your actions, or non-actions for that matter, um, have been instrumental in putting us in this position. And so we're going to get the work done between now and, and Friday at 2.30 to be able to have some updates. The stay-at-home order has been updated twice. Coronavirus numbers in the state continue to climb, although social distancing has allowed the state to remain within health care capacity. Your physical distancing has, has made quite a difference. And um, the proof is in the numbers. And I don't want to ever kind of take a step back um, because we relax our behavior and just start thinking everything's back to normal. And so um, our Friday plan will reflect that new normal. Contributors to Time magazine, Arthur Kaplan and Roger Bazell, reported testing is the only answer in the wake of coronavirus. They wrote in Time magazine, quote, Until we have a vaccine which is likely a year or more off, or truly effective treatments, which may just be as far in the future, the answer is, as it has been since the start of this pandemic, testing, testing, and more testing, end quote. Tuesday's announcement revealed Indiana will add 50 sites to increase testing to 100,000 tests per month and 30,000 tests per week. Dr. Lindsay Weaver, chief medical officer for Indiana State Department of Health, touched on the expanded testing. So now I want to talk to you about expanding testing that we are now launching. Indiana has been working diligently to enhance COVID testing capacity from the beginning of our response by using our strike teams and our drive-through clinics. And more than 87,000 Hoosiers have been tested to date. Today, we are excited to announce another step that will significantly expand testing and allow us to move closer to our goal of testing every Hoosier who has symptoms of COVID-19. Over the next week, OptumServe, powered by logistics, will launch 20 testing sites at select locations around the state and a plan to increase to 50 sites by mid-May. This will give us an opportunity to do nearly 100,000 tests a month initially and test 30,000 Hoosiers a week when all sites are open. 
the state reached an agreement with Optum as a way to expand testing to all symptomatic Hoosiers while allowing the Indiana State Department of Health to focus on targeted testing of high-risk populations. Dr. Weaver also discussed contact tracing and an online screening tool for self-reported symptoms of coronavirus. Additionally, we will be testing close contacts of infected persons. So if you are somebody who maybe your family member or someone that you have been in close contact with in the community has tested positive, you too can go get tested for COVID-19. And additionally, want to test the symptomatic Hoosiers who live in any kind of congregate setting. As I mentioned, you'll be able to go to the Optum portal and self-report your symptoms using their online screening tool, register to get an appointment date and time, and the registration portal will be open about two days before the testing sites um, actually open up. And this is going to be an NP swab or a nasopharyngeal swab. And more information will come out in the coming days. No one will be charged for testing. Um, having insurance is not a requirement, but if you do have private health insurance, we do ask that you bring that information. Web registration is preferred, but there will be a call in line when available. The results will be provided to the individual tested and also provided to ISCH by Optum. The patients will receive a text or email if the test is negative, and if the test is positive, you will receive a phone call. During the Q&A portion of Tuesday's press conference, Steve with KPC Media asked the governor about reopening the economy despite a resurgence in cases. Over the last uh, six days, we've seen kind of uh, what I've been calling around the office a, a mini surge in cases. The, the average number of cases has jumped up above uh, 600 per day, where we had been more in the kind of 450 range before that. I know that's not the greatest timing with uh, looking forward to Friday. So I guess with, uh, with some of the numbers that you've been seeing, do you have any, any concerns about the, the latest activity with COVID in the state? Well, I'm, I'm concerned with every number that comes in, and we look at every number that comes in, and as we continue to test, and as this um, uh, COVID-19 continues to spread, uh, my North Star is focused on is or is not the healthcare system that we have overwhelmed, and to date, it has not been. This is precisely the reasons why we ask people to change their behavior, to change their actions. Um, we have been fortunate uh, that so many Hoosiers, I mentioned a few just in the, on the testing front, but so many Hoosiers privately and their businesses have retrofitted what they were doing in life before and they started making PPE themselves and supplying hospitals and supplying grocery stores and supplying frontline uh, personnel with PPE. Um, that's helped us endure this as well. As much as we've purchased through the IEDC, the Indiana Economic Development Corporation, our procurement efforts, people stepping forward has helped us as well. So it's not, it's not just focusing on the positive cases that will continue. This could be with us, folks, for a year. It's how we manage our way through this and how we keep that curve flat enough so that our healthcare system can care for those folks who are in need. And so absolutely, we look at cases, positive cases. Uh, we look at that ratio. We look at the death rate for sure. Uh, but we also are laser focused on our hospitalization rates. We're focused on our, the, the vent availability, the ICU bed availability, whether it's in an area like Cass County uh, or that district, the health district four, I think it is, 
or any other of the, of the 10 districts in the state of Indiana. So it's not just one uh, area that we look at, especially since we're increasing our testing and will over this next month. So we'll identify more positives for sure. And that's why, again, um, Steve, so important to have this testing that you heard about today, expansion, um, and the tracing, the testing and tracing to help us isolate those positive cases that you highlighted, uh, to help isolate those, get them out of the mix, and, and see our way through this. In Indiana, more than 515,000 people filed for unemployment insurance claims over a five-week period. IndyStar reported that the state's real-time unemployment rate is about 14%. Despite record numbers of unemployment, reopening the economy prematurely would be a mistake. Phil Powell, associate dean and clinical associate of IU's Kelly School of Business, told the IndyStar, quote, The more we can test, then we know who's at risk and who's not. Those at risk can stay socially distant. Those not at risk can start to conduct normal commerce, end quote. We will know more on the future of Indiana's stay-at-home order when Governor Holcomb gives his announcement in the coming days. For WFHB, I'm Cade Young. Now it's time for Better Beware, our weekly consumer watchdog segment, hosted by Richard Fish. Welcome to Better Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket. Here's your lockdown update. How are you doing? I'm okay, and I hope you are too. Let's face it, the COVID-19 outbreak has been a major interruption in all our lives, and for many, the shutdown has been a financial disaster. But you know what it's been for scammers and swindlers? It's a bonanza! It's getting wild out there, and not just in the West. The FTC reports that Americans across the country have already lost some 12 million bucks to fraudsters who have more con games going than Pa Cartwright had cattle. The FBI has taken down hundreds of phony websites, but more show up every day. Here's a quick rundown on the most common scams. You get a text message. You've come in contact with someone who may be infected. This is bogus every time. Ignore it, erase it, and do not respond. Text messages, robocalls, and emails are trying to sell you home test kits, coronavirus treatments, investments in a breakthrough cure or vaccine, none of which exist at all, and some even offer toilet paper at ten times the usual price. Look, if there is a vaccine or treatment, you'll hear about it first on the news, not from some stranger. There's a deluge of messages that seem to come from the government preying on your financial anxiety. The Social Security Administration is stopping your payments. The Centers for Disease Control or the World Health Organization need donations. Even the FCC Financial Care Center wants to give you 30,000 smackers in relief money if you give them your bank account numbers. The FCC? The Federal Communications Commission? That's crazy. The FCC has nothing to do with individuals. This year, they're busy renewing the licenses of every radio and TV station in Indiana, including this one. 
The stimulus payments we are getting have the crooks salivating like a dog eyeing a T-bone steak. They'll offer to get you your payment faster, for a fee, of course, or demand payment for something they claim you've ordered. They'll tell you someone you love needs help, and it will be someone you love because they've hacked somebody's email address file, and they want you to buy gift cards, which they will forward. <laughs> right. This is the time to be super suspicious. Remember, the government contacts you with a letter in the mail, not on the phone and not by email. If you respond, call only publicly listed phone numbers. Don't follow any directions in a message. Pay for things with a credit card or not at all. If you're stuck at home, stick it to the bad guys and let this episode have a happy ending. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs. Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at wfhb.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at wfhb.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break. been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Braden Lentz, Cade Young, and Sydney Foreman in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Cade Young. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Our executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Sydney Foreman. And I'm Cade Young. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent local news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast as well as other WFHB news programming online at WFHB.org. You can be a part of our award-winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email news at WFHB.org. Stay tuned for Hearabouts, Asian American Midwest Radio, coming up next on WFHB. Listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 